Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Artful Athlete podcast. This week, we're kickstarting a brand new series of special episodes where I just sit down with people that I look up to or who I feel have a story that needs to be heard. And I'm very, very excited to be sharing this first episode with half of School of Calisthenics, <laughs> the human flag and potato eating bandana wearing man himself, Jacko. What an intro. I like that. I like that. Um, now, uh, great to be here. Yeah, I've loved connecting with you over the last year or so. Um, love what what you're about um, and what you've been doing. And yeah, I didn't realize I was going to be the first one. I feel quite privileged of that. <laughs> well, I didn't. Either that or you just haven't found anyone else to go on the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> you're the first one that was available that fast. Ah, so... You Use me, I'm useful. <laughs> but it's true we did start connecting over like a year ago now roughly i personally started to binge watching all of your school of calisthenic contents a couple of years back actually 2018 for me um but it's been great because we started having a conversation a year ago and i feel the reason it didn't happen sooner that moment of us sitting down and talking mm. is because we each needed to go and learn something more in order to come back and have that exchange and that chat that we started yeah, on your podcast last week. Yeah, yeah. No, and, you know, some of that was connecting around breathing. And that was something that I'd, about 18 months ago, and it ties in with my sort of head injury, even though I didn't realize it did at the time. The, so we can backtrack to that at some point. But the, the breathing thing, I was just becoming, you know, and something just keeps cropping up and it plants a little bit of a seed. Now, I'm not someone that, like, I don't know, sometimes things are a very slow burner for me. So it's like just this little thought or little like keep getting nudged on hmm, breathing and going, hmm, I don't know. Am I doing it right? I don't know. Like, do I use my diaphragm properly? I don't know. And then I sort of was just probing and then asking a few questions. I went on a workshop with um, the Richie Norton, um, the Strength Temple, was running in Nottingham. Uh, that was coming up to the Christmas. So it must be Christmas year, Pat, not just the one here, the the one before. And I said to him, look, I'm, I'm, I, I was at the point where the stuff he took us through, I didn't, I didn't feel like I knew enough to really connect with it. I was like, have you got any books or anything to like, what, what kind of, I want to do a bit of reading up on this. I actually want to make a, rather than just asking a lot of questions, I want to try and do a bit of research myself. Uh, so he put me on, he said, Oxen Advantage uh, by Patrick McKeer. And he's like, he, and he said, it's a game changer. And when someone that you, um, you know, you, you trust and you, you believe in, like I did Richie, when they say a game changer, and sometimes that gets used too often, but yeah, it, it was. And, and again, for me, it was still something that it was like a, the words and, and it was the fastest book I've ever read. And I'm sort of dyslexic. So um, reading doesn't come that easy or natural to me. Yeah, when it's the fastest book I've ever read. Not like I did it in a day or anything. It was like still probably weeks, but um, that was good for me. But even that, it was like the words that I was reading, it was like, right, this is like, this is a thing. And I am, I've always loved learning anything. And particularly when it involves like the body and being able to like just improve how my body is or how I am and how it impacts how I feel. And um, yeah, it was like, I sort of fully connected with it in terms of being like, right, this is something I need to try and start to do. But anyone that, uh, that read the Oxygen Advantage, um, one of the little like tests that, do, that he does, the body oxygen level test or, or acronym of BOLT, 
Um, but it's basically like a, a relaxed breath hold after an exhale, but it's just a gauge of what you're, uh, it's, it's more to do with the uh, carbon dioxide sensitivity rather than actually oxygen. But um, I was, <laughs> mine was less than 10, which was not very good. It was like the, <laughs> the scores were like zero to 10. Like you might have some real, you might have some really bad dysfunctional breathing patterns. <laughs> yeah. And, and it took me, I got very into the the breath holding and stuff and saw some improvements from starting really badly, but I, it probably took me another good six months to start to try and get my head around it a bit more. And then it probably took another six months where I was like, I think I'm getting this now. And then that tied in with, I did the advanced instructor training with Patrick at the Oxygen Advantage. Um, so I've been through that course to become like a certified coach with them, which um, that then just cemented the, um, it just took you understanding from the from reading the book and trying to figure it out yourself to go in okay, now the penny's starting, starting to drop. There's, there's a few aha moments along the way, which is like the, the main thing your brain is interested in when it's dictating how fast you breathe or when you should breathe and that desire to breathe comes from levels of carbon dioxide. And you're like, for me, it was like, what? At school, they taught us carbon dioxide is just the, the waste gas and it's, you know, producing the cells and that's, but it's the simple, you know, when you're teaching GCSE, and I'm actually, I've taught GCSE um, uh, science. So, you know, you know that, these we have to dumb not dumb things down, but we have to like simplify things to yeah. get the main things across. Whatever, but yeah, it's um that that was just a big thing, um one of those big aha moments, and then just the relationship between your nose and the diaphragm and all, all that sort of stuff. And it was just like it was one of those. It's like you open Pandora's box, and then you like I'm not saying that I wish I hadn't because it's been literally life changing for me, but it's a part of you is a bit like ah. Oh, and I was blissfully unaware of this. At least I didn't, at least I didn't know, but it was like, what's going on in the background that's not serving your like health and whatnot. And then recently speaking and doing some work with Dr. Cobb from Z Health Performance, where he introduced me to the fact that um, if you've suffered a, a traumatic brain injury or a concussion, concussive event, some sort of, some sort of brain injury, then it is like highly likely that in particular the severity of it, mine, I had a seizure on the training field, blah, blah, blah. Um, we can I can explain a bit more of that in a second, but just to say that there was there's the the part of the brainstem that gets activated and stimulated when we do breath holding is affected by um, concussive events, and we get reduced blood flow. He was describing it. He was saying, you know, we get you 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 can have reduced blood flow um, to that part of the brainstem, and I was like, are you talking sort of like minutes and hours afterwards? I felt like that was almost what he was like. No, 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 years. And I'm thinking my head injury is back in 2013 and I'm sort of fairly certain and I've got no way to like actually hundred percent say this. He sort of backed up the theory. I was like, I was so fit when I played rugby, my, my cardiovascular performance, carbon dioxide tolerance, breathing patterns couldn't have been like, I was the fittest guy in our team. Like they couldn't have been as bad as they were when I did my first bolt score, you know, 18 months ago, they just, they just couldn't have been, I wouldn't have been that fit. And so the idea that a concussive event and I had a series of concussive events and a very bad one at the, in the end of my career changes your breathing patterns and, and you know, and affects this affects your brainstem and we're getting reduced blood flow to it, all of that and going, you know, that's probably why. And one of the reasons probably why, I'd, why maybe I didn't even realize there was something in me that was starting to become more aware about breathing because maybe mine had changed. I just didn't sort of 
It wasn't like I woke up one day and knew, it wasn't like after my head injury, I was like, oh, I think I'm breathing differently. Not at all. But at some point, that awareness came in where it came from. You know, it's something that I've been then doing a load of breath holding to help improve my breathing, but then finding out afterwards that that's actually great for reactivating and stimulating to increase blood flow to parts of the brain and brainstem where it's highly likely that I'd have had had a reduced blood flow and effect and negative effects basically from a, from a head injury. So I found it out in a, in a backwards sort of way, but I guess it's, it's just good to know we got there in the end. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm quite, it's something that had laid low for a while. Um, but in terms of like head injuries, particularly in rugby and I hadn't really talked about it an awful lot, but started to do a few more interviews recently and stuff because it's back in the media because there's some, um, there's basically some lawsuits going on. And um, one thing that I'm very interested in and, and would love to see it happen is that these types of things like how simple breath holding is, but so important it is for somebody's rehabilitation, like needs to be like, needs to be mainstream and it needs to be in those sports. It needs to be in the protocol. There was none at all. And, and I'm fairly certain that there still isn't now. If someone was to have a concussive event in rugby, that there wouldn't be, that wouldn't be part of the, recovery protocol and i think one of the really great things about it is that when you're in that dark place after a head injury and you can't do anything like literally cognitively you just can't process anything you can't really you're not thinking straight you can't read a book you can't concentrate on anything simple tasks just can make you break down in tears um you know you, I could have held my breath for five seconds. I could have practiced hold it like that would give me just something practical to do that would make that just give me the better feeling about myself that I'm doing something to try and improve my recovery. Whereas all the only advice I had was like, just do nothing and try and do nothing and turn all of your lights off and just don't stimulate the brain at all, which in actual fact, you know, the research that Dr. Cobb at Zielt is doing is saying that, well, actually, it's not about doing nothing, but it's about stimulating the right parts of the brain that need to be activated. And also, so through breathing, already knowing that on an everyday basis, oxygen stimulates the brain, like it just needs mm. it. It's the fuel it needs. Yeah. And knowing that in this day and age that we have, we're not using our brain to its full capacity because it's not being irrigated completely. So when you're in a state of injury and when you have, um, seizures and strokes, these leaves tiny scars inside the brain. So in the same way that someone gets a scratch on a muscle or on the flesh, you have the same thing, but it's in the brain. In the same way that we look after a scar by feeding the skin around it, by making sure it's irrigated properly as well, you need to have this going on for the mm. brain. But unfortunately, and I think it's, we're starting to see a change in that conversation. But a lot of, when I used to talk about breath in the past, um, to help just focus, relax, relax parts of the body. Try and imagine that you're putting oxygen in different places to create that opening, to shift the focus, not on something material, but into what's happening inside. The response that I would get, and a lot of the time from people who trained a lot or from yeah. uh, the male, uh, male perspective was that the breathing, that's for girls that's the that's the female thing like we don't need this that the hippie hippie jumbo thing but actually there is so much research there is there are so many people out there that have shown us the importance of breath on a daily basis and the effect it has 
on health. Well, there's two things there um, that, you know, I, I had my, my final, uh, my final MRI scan was what showed um, a scarring on my brain. And that was the, that was the like, well, you've got to give up rugby type of um, mm. part of it, which, you know, in, at, at the time actually brought a lot of relief because I was a bit worried about, yeah, the, the, I was worried actually that I'd be too, that I wouldn't be strong enough mm. to actually admit that I needed to stop unless the doctor told me I had to stop. So weirdly, it's quite funny. Weirdly, I was like going into this meeting praying that like that just the doctor would just deal with it and take it out of my hands. And the doctor, she was uh, bless her, she was very. Um, you could tell her she she didn't want to. She was expecting me to be sort of be devastated rather than relieved. And so she was like really didn't want to see like you you can't really play anymore. This is and she described. Uh, like in, in boxing, like if they have a, a scar on the brain like that, they take their they take the license off them so yeah. they can't box again, that type of thing. So it was it was very clear, but she didn't want to tell me because obviously she didn't know the headspace that I was where I was at. Um, and yeah, I guess and it's like you say, I had no, I had none, and was given none, and was led to believe that there was no, there was no way to try and help that rehabilitation process for the brain other than just wait that being that getting out there more readily and, and seen not to be like you say like hippie like I would have like if I look at how I act now how I behave the things I do now if you'd have shown me a verge five years ago shown me a version of me now I'd have said hippie I'd have been like guy's got a bit hippie hasn't he? he's got a bit you soft, had the long like... hair you had the long hair already <laughs> well yeah <laughs> but way back it was a mullet uh, so it was long only at the back it was business at the front party at the back um, so that's very different to just having uh, having long hair, but um, that was a lifestyle, not a hairstyle. But um, exactly. that's a different that's a different podcast. The, um, <laughs> then the uh, um, then there was something. What uh, you said about the scar, and then there was another. There was something else that just prompted me. That, it, so every time you have like a seizure or oh no, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah that was it. Um, you was because like, I'm gonna speak up for the guys because you said guys would say breathing's for girls now. I can tell you exact probably like three or four years ago, yeah. I was having some soft tissue work on like my shoulder and, and whatnot. And the therapist was, she was very into her breathing and I was in a place where I just wasn't ready for it. I didn't know enough to understand it to then actually think, yeah. Do. So she's going in, looking at my like rib cage, I had quite a flared rib cage. Her diaphragm was just like disgustingly tight. She was like, God, we need to do some work on your diaphragm. You need to do blah, blah. And I was literally like, just switched off and was like, not this is for girls, but just, you know, my shoulder's tight. Like, can you, I want you to, I want you to loosen off like my traps. Like, whereas I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about or able to appreciate that that underlying dysfunctional breathing pattern was causing problems sort of like biomechanically from like how I was breathing with rib cage positioning neck and all and everything now that I would know and I think like stupid Jacko um but that's that's how we, that's how we go isn't it and, we, and I just think that when people have to be and this isn't just for breathing is it like we know this in that we all do this all the time like we we have to be in the right place to hear something you know and it's like when you listen to um a podcast again or you listen to something again or you watch something again or you read a book like okay you go back and revisit something and it and it speaks to you in a completely different way yeah. not because the words have changed but just because your insight has changed or your understanding um has changed and, and 
that's one of the fascinating things about learning. learning Amazing, yeah, we, can go back, we can learn more from the same thing, but just go back when you when you've grown up a bit. <laughs> what, <laughs> what it's been like for me, basically. I just need to grow up. That's basically it. Uh, there's growing up and growing up there and <laughs> the, the learning never stops the learning never stops and I love what you said about revisiting things because I know I'm I used to feel guilty about just revisiting stuff because then in that in when you just look at the same thing or read the same books over and over again you just you end up developing this fear of missing out that there are great things happening right now but you're still yeah. going back to the same thing but the reason we're drawn back to the stuff maybe that we've read already three times or we've seen or heard a few times is probably because I feel personally there's something else in there that we're meant to connect to at some point. So when you feel drawn back to, I don't know, a play, a book um, or a painting, even just today, I need to see that painting. It's because maybe there is something at this moment that you need to access, to draw from this very specific source mm. and it's also very important to let the learning sink in also revisiting something that potentially was painful that you have grown and healed from but going back to look at it maybe in a different light maybe this time around instead of looking at the scene developing with you reenacting it you're capable of going a little bit above and look at it from a bird's eye view yeah and i think that as well when we're thinking about learning like this you know if you're if you're in a lucky position as i guess we are that for as part of our like jobs like we get to learn and explore new things whereas that isn't the case for a lot of um, a lot of jobs and careers potentially and slash or you're having to learn things that actually don't like excite you or you're not choosing to. It's like, you need to learn this for this job. And for a lot of us, uh, we may not have enjoyed large parts of school and your sort of memory and recollection of learning is a very different experience. And maybe you, you know, you might've tried very hard to learn things for your exams when you were at school, but it was very hard work because you weren't choosing to learn the content and the information. So you weren't choosing it and it didn't, it didn't excite you. Whereas, and so I would, you know, I remember getting, it was only when I got to university, I was doing an engineering degree. I, I figured out that rather than learn, the way I could remember it for the exam was I would just write it out like loads of time, just, constantly to the point where when I was in the exam I could pretty much close my eyes and see sentences of the things that or the you know I'd change it from sentence to bullet point like I, I got very good at that. so I, I did well on my uh, degree because yeah. I got good at right being able to remember stuff to then write it down in an exam ask me anything to do with my materials and degree I'm not <laughs> going to be able to give you many answers whereas I you know I remember I had a friend he was doing uh, mechanical engineering boring um, and uh, he would literally just sit there and he, I don't know if it, I don't know if it was because he was excited by it, but his learning style was very, he'd literally just read a page yeah, and then it'd be there, it'd be in it. And I remember being like, That's how not do fair. you do that? But you know what I've noticed now when I, when I pick up um, a book that I'm really interested in, when I'm, when I was like studying for my strength and conditioning when I was studying for the oxygen advantage certification, not that I was at the point where I could just read one page and remember it, but there are certain things that I would, I'd read 
because I was so into it and so interested in it. It was just like, not at the time knowing that it had stayed in, but like two days later, I'm talking to my wife and I'll be like, blah, 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 blah. Did you know that blah, this much action? Blah. And it was like, oh, I just, I feel like I just actually Lance. know that now. Yeah. Um, and I think that that, and I haven't really thought about that before. You, you just, this conversation has prompt, prompt that sort of idea that, and I'm sure I can't, you know, there must be lots of people that's, that's the same thing that you, when you notice that when you're really excited and passionate about something and you know it's going to change like you and change other people, that it just, it sinks in much easier. The intention and the energy is completely different because you actually, mm. you see yourself connecting to that material in a completely different way. Same like, I mean, I did a lot of studying, but um, in France, we do have to, we do have extremely long exams and an obscene amount of work to do at school, which, uh, yay, great. But to <laughs> get into certain schools after high school, going to, uh, yeah, they're called great schools. Um, <laughs> and I did the tests for the, all the journalism schools across France, and I had to learn so much. <laughs> I learned every single capital and country in the world, for example. I am incapable <laughs> of telling you today what they were. But I learned that list and it was obscenely long and I came to the test and spat it back out on paper. Didn't get yeah. any of those schools. Um, fine. Now I can say fine. At the time I was destroyed because I thought it meant I was an idiot because yeah. I had not been capable of succeeding in getting into it. When you're 2000 people taking the same test and they only take 30 at the end, uh, maybe putting things... Really? Down. 30 out of 2000? Yeah, wow. um, some of the courses is that. Uh, so that was the biggest test I took. That was for a school in Paris. So you just know that your chances of getting there are very slim, but yeah. you still put in the work. You learn all of these stuff. I've binge read books and now I've become a very slow reader because that plus um, eye health issues that I had when I was younger has slowed my reading down a lot. Right. But when it's just, when you're just almost force feeding yourself all of this material that you don't necessarily connect to or believe in in the end you're you're just not going to have the same impact you're not going to be able to share it properly or do it justice i did not know this conversation was going to go there i like it i know we've gone <laughs> in a completely different place interestingly we uh, we've 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 took our camper van from nottingham to croatia before and during many long hours driving uh, to get for, <laughs> there for a wedding we just like on the way back we did lots of like touring that but on the way there it was like get there and sorry you'll see why this is relevant very quickly that we um i don't think for some reason we didn't have um like google maps or I, th I don't think we had i don't think we paid for the internet to be able to so we were using old school we were using an actual map <laughs> we ended up playing a game which was trying to remember all of the capital cities in our Europe map so we would either say the city and you had to say the country or vice versa and interestingly we got very good at um reciting some of those yeah because it's reciting isn't it <laughs> but, at but least yeah you but as you say now if you ask me I wouldn't I'm so I'm, I'm trying to think of like quite an obscure one if I could remember any that you would um that you'd remember Hungary uh Budapest there you go yeah but that's that's an easy one that's an easy one sorry <laughs> But I need to think of one that I know. Slovakia. Uh, Bratislava? I don't, I don't know. It's, I told you I couldn't. I, 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 I wasn't excited by the learning, so I didn't remember, I didn't remember any of them. 
that's 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 the thing it when it's a game you just play around with it and that's what's so important as well things become fun and easy to remember when you're playing around with it it's the same in movement is what you do i love some of the posts you and tim do sometimes just like have you played today and it's just you guys showing like doing your mobility stuff and it is playing and it sinks in so much better in the body and the mind and everywhere when you just play around you're gonna do it more there's not many things that i really hate and bore me in my training that i do but i mean and and that's the same as everyone but like sometimes we don't we think that like um you know working out workout like it has to be can't be fun like because it's workout like whereas there isn't it's a it's a man it's a man-made thing you know and people have been very fit and very strong and won wars and all sorts of things before they started doing workouts at gyms it's difficult for us as as people we end our, our snapshot of like we live in our little snapshot of life and it's our norms are of just a very small time frame in like the world like i was talking about someone about um walking barefoot compared to being in, in shoes just today randomly just uh, and you know trying to it's normal to wear shoes now yeah but and only in the context of like now but if we look at the lifespan of just the world and people like it, wearing shoes is a tiny dot it's like completely not normal you know the for however however long we've uh, been walking around it's been mostly without shoes like by I don't know what the percentage would be, but it would be above 99%, I'd have thought. Probably, probably something like that. But also, you know, shoes happened because, oh, maybe the, the feet were getting cold or injured because there was stuff in the floor. But we've then had, we went ham the other way by just, oh, you have to, you know, you have this, you need to have extra heel to compensate. When I had my, yeah. my, my neck injury, one of yeah. the things that I was encouraged to carry on doing was wearing um, heels, but have at least uh, like a three and a half, four centimeter oh, right. heel so that it would help um, compensate. And in a way it did, but I'm barefoot 90% of the time now. <laughs> yeah. when, when I have to wear heels, I just go, ah, oh, I'm glad to remove them. You rely on these compensations, these little compensations, and it takes you away from, from the ground, from the foundations of yeah. of everything of everything and that's something yeah, I told, that you, you, can told you i'm a hippie now <laughs> a complete hippie an absolute complete hippie and i know which book is on your bookshelf right now so you're going to turn like more of a hippie because like you, po- you posted about this one. Oh, exhale yeah yeah I only just exhale exhale yeah. by richie borstock well rich richie is the equivalent is my richie to your richie uh, okay, okay so he's i went to i signed up to it was 2018 i just had no, I'm going to call it a burnout. It was a burnout uh, okay. that well manifested itself through my training because training had to be extremely serious. <laughs> and I can't you, imagine that with you. Ah, uh, no, ham. I was. Uh, you changed a lot. I, what does ham mean? Uh, it's when you go full on, like you see a wall and you've decided you're going to go through it. You run yeah. and it's like, yeah, I'm going through the wall. I'm going through the wall, even though it's a bad idea. It's a bad. And that's plan. ham. Is that a French thing or is that an English? Thing? I've just never heard it. No, maybe it's a. You said it twice. The first time I sort of let it go, I was like, maybe it's just this thing I just said over. Then it's like, <laughs> what's ham? I think it must. Maybe it's a London thing. Maybe it's a London thing. Also, because yeah. of the way I learned languages. I'm not cool enough. I'm not cool London. I'm like, not <laughs> I'm not. This. Yeah. I'm not 
London. I've been locked up inside my house for three weeks. <laughs> um, no, but I think because of the way I learned languages, I learned English and German and everything by listening to people. Yeah. So the words I ha- <laughs> the words I use or the expression I use is because I've heard somebody say it, and my brain okay. has decided that. It's a good one. We understand. We like the feel. Keep it. And then you use conversations. <laughs> so and... maybe essentially you've made it up. So I'm like, there's a brick wall. I'm going to go through it. Jambon. <laughs> <laughs> jambon, exactly. Pretty much very specific jambon as well. Um, I did very good at French at GCC. No, I just passed. It's because it's easy to forget. French is a complicated language, language to learn. It really is. Like the grammar is... No, everything, everything is complicated. I'm not very good at English, though. It's... Uh... You're doing a decent job. Right <laughs> you haven't seen my written my written mistakes. But yeah, no, I was I was training two hours a day, uh, granting myself one rest day on Sundays, and even then felt guilty about it because the only way I would get my back and my body to the best place possible was if I trained. Because if I didn't right. train, that meant that meant that I was not willing to put in the effort. And this is this was both. I feel my own nature to just always feel the need to do a lot and to be good at the things that I do. And because moving around had been something so complicated for me for so long, finally being able to access all of this movement knowledge and make it my own and separate myself, separate 2018 Sigulen from injured Sigulen was very important to me. But it took, I derailed along the tracks because... Mm. This was my sole focus. I would structure my days around the amount of work I needed to put in, in my rehab, rehab workouts and in my calisthenics goals um, and felt like a failure at the end. One day I just literally, I started to pull up on the rings and then just went back down, turned around, put my hands around my eyes, <laughs> started crying. There was no one at the gym and I was training with, um, I was training with, uh, with my coach. <laughs> he just came over and was like, you okay there? Yeah, totally fine. <laughs> totally okay. I'll go get you a tissue. He handled it like a champ. To uh, be <laughs> like, to be honest, yeah. he really handled it like a champ. And then after that, I saw a post on social media about this breathing event that would have an ice bath happening um, in a, a wellness center in Hammersmith. And the only reason I signed up, well, there were two reasons I signed up. First one because I thought it would be a fun adventure. And we have a lot of uh, blood illness, blood related issues in my family. So exposure to cold is something that I practice regularly anyway, just to help with the blood flow. So I thought this would be great, an adventure. And also that place used to have a slide to go from the first floor to the ground floor. So I just had to go. And it was led by Richie Bostock, the breath guy. And we did 40 minutes of 40, 45 minutes of breathing. And the first thing he said was, we're going to breathe through our mouth. And I just had a moment of, what? This is not, this is not what I do. Like, it's through the nose, mate, through the nose. Yeah. Like, mm, but stay with me on this, you know. And he guided us through the bow breath and through that CNS relaxation and neurostimulation through breathing. And we did this for 40, 45 minutes. And when we, we were lying on the floor and then when we yeah. opened our eyes at the end and go back up, there was this guy on my right further down who got on his yoga mat a bear of a man you know like ah who just who just went what the hell just happened he had (laughs) tears rolling down his cheeks still and was just like i have no idea what i just did but i need more 
um, then Richie just said that the ice had arrived and we had yeah. Wim Hof facilitators present and yeah. there was a ton of ice in a tub nice. <laughs> right outside. And we all got together, held hands group by group. And yeah. I was one, in one of the last groups to go and we, he left us in there because we were just smiling and laughing and just, you, yeah. you reach this state of bliss almost like, ah, I could see, stay, stay there forever. It's nice. It's good. I don't yeah. have to worry about anything. And we stayed in there for three minutes and got out, did some movement in order to get the diaphragm and the breath going. And then yeah. um, the uh, infrared light therapy that you have. So these oh, are nice. there and yeah, had installed cool. panels for us to stand in front wow. of. And that was probably one of the best days of my life. And I remember at the end, just getting a hot chocolate and sitting by the Thames. And I think I just watched the river for two hours after that. Yeah. Nice. Just, you feel so blissful after these moments. Yeah. I've got into the cold recently and, you know, uh, pre when it was, uh, when we were allowed to meet more than one person. Yeah. <laughs> and during the COVID, there's there's a little group of us who go together and then been going just like with one other person and, um, but doing it in an actual lake and the like birds and the yeah. ducks and the like and this morning uh, like for last week or so it's been very the last two weeks probably it's been very cloudy and like overcast whereas today it's really clear the sunrise absolutely beautiful and just like sat in there getting like you say you get I was at the point of going like like I'm cold but I'm sort of like happy well the, but more than happy it was just like the stillness is incredible. And there's, you know, I get a very different, there's obviously like physiological benefits that I get if I stick some ice in my bath at home, but there's a completely different stillness with nature when it's done in like an actual, um, yeah. you know, outside in an actual, I was going to say not pond, but you know, in a lake, <laughs> lake, that's the word, lake. <laughs> um, Bigger pond. Yeah. And uh, it's a fascinating one. I said to, um, so Owen, one of our coaches, he he loves it as well. And um, he's one of the coaches at Scorecast Next. And he um, says, do you know what I love about this is that it's obviously like the feeling when you're doing it and afterwards, et cetera, like, yeah. But the thing that I was sort of getting really excited about was like, this is just a choice. Like we've just chose to come and do this and it's absolutely free. And literally in, until we die, hopefully, you know, God willing, we can still move around enough that we're right movement wise. Like we can choose to to go and and do this. It's just it's just a choice. And so that like that feeling of stillness, that feeling of calmness, that feeling of connection that we so easily lose um, throughout normal busy lives, um, it's there for us. We just have to choose it. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just think that 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 very much. Um, yeah, that very much excited me. There was something you mentioned earlier. This it, it's a thought I've been having recently, and then um, and it's pretty raw. So whether you, you this might just be mumbo jumbo because I've only only just started like sort of Hit trying me. to piece it together in my mind. Um, I was doing an interview with uh, I don't know if you come across the guys from Move You. Uh, no, sorry, um, no, sorry, uh, we move, not Move You. Oh, not uh, the same. Yeah, we have had Move You on the podcast a while ago, but um, yeah, no, we move, and they're very much like they've oh, one of their first. Um, they started off with a magazine now it's podcasts and they're collaborating with a bit of a magazine but anyway they one of their first I think it, I think it was their first episode they interviewed Wim Hof and actually like spent time with the guy and it was like 
But how did you get him? How did you get that your first like episode? Anyway, um, they've gone round and, and and sort of worked and experienced and interviewed like all these different people in the health and wellness sort of space, and um, you know they have a very rounded approach to because they've experienced a lot of different stuff. And we were just talking about um, we'd had some conversations before about generalist versus specialist, and then we were just going along this line of as you were saying like um doing something and then like how we sort of strive to get better at something and like so for example with the cold the other last time there was this beautiful sunrise um i'd put my timer on at seven minutes yeah stayed in seven minutes and actually felt even fine for seven minutes and then it was like the next time come back i actually had to stop myself because it was set your time for eight minutes and then it becomes a competition it's like no it's not about it's not about a competition it's not about it's this like desire within that, that when we're doing something like we then for some reason have to get like better at it. why do i have to get better at it? why do i even have to be good at it what whereas and i don't know whether it does come from schooling or whatever there's something in us that like we enjoy things that we're good at but i, I still i was almost like wanting to challenge myself of like why why can't i just do something and a it completely not matter whether i'm good at it or not why do i have to make that assessment and that judgment like um that comparison is just debilitating when we do that um, and i do that far too much but trying to get better at it. but why do we have to yeah why do i have to be good at it oh and then and and linked to that is almost like why do i have to try and improve it like why does everything have to turn into turn into a competition and actually just doing something because you like doing it, even if you're even if you're rubbish at it. But even ideally, not knowing exactly. whether you're good or bad at it, just doing it because it's the thing because it's something you like to do. Um, like here's a good example. I probably like I like the idea of playing a musical instrument. Yeah. Probably particularly like guitar, but I never have done. And I'm just not very I've never been very good at anything like that at school, if you know what I mean. So I don't I don't even try and start which I is uh I'm now just live challenging myself on your podcast of going like, I know but then in that case I'm taking you guitar, up on that. Have a go. my 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 guitar is over there and I've got everything <laughs> to learn how to play the guitar and I can I'd love play... to be able to just jam like yeah but anyway but then <laughs> that's, that's me thing. partly that immediately going like I want to then be good at it um if you're not very if you're <laughs> if you're terrible at playing the guitar it's not going to sound nice. That's probably the main challenge. It's not very good being bad at something that makes a noise, is it? Um... But it's interesting, the competition thing, because when you were talking mm. about your bolt score and how you started at 10 seconds and then, um, and I know you post it pretty much every day or every so often. Well, when you, this, yeah, I was like wondering a... how competitive you were getting, because I know uh, well, that's why I don't time my holds. I do yeah. it once every so often. I time it uh, to see yeah. roughly where I am. But I now i just don't and i try to just stay in that moment rather because i know myself i will be like you did 36 seconds yesterday you gotta do 37 yeah. seconds and like and that when you do that you create tension and you create a level of stress that is not then helpful very and it's a really good point actually it's something i should probably talk about um more more regularly or more often because i've um made everything we do we just make loads of ton of mistakes at the beginning and and part of it's like self-awareness isn't it knowing that okay 
I've ruined Christmases by being too competitive at like Christmas games. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that's, that's my, that's what I'm like. I'm like that guy. When I stopped being competitive about it was one of the, one of the things that helped me then actually improve it as well as getting a better understanding of actually how to implement the exercises, the, the breathing light and the, and the breath holding correctly, like throughout the day, but definitely letting go of that and being like, no, it's, it's not a competition. There's no, you can't try harder at it. We're taking willpower out of it is when does your body, when does, when is your brain give you that desire to breathe? And the, the vein, the reason I continue to do it daily is it's a very good marker for me of like checking in with myself. So I'm getting better at, but I'm not amazing at like listening to my own body, probably from years of, um, you know, when you've played pro rugby, whether you feel sore or not on Tuesday, if we're doing a contact session, you can't go, oh, I'm not really feeling very, my body's telling me I need to have a rest. <laughs> like you're not going to go very far. So you do stuff just no matter what. So you actually really dumb down that, that ability to listen to your body. The bolt score for me gives me a great indicator of um, how I am like internally and how am I, how am I managing, managing my stress? Am I, am I calm and am I on top of things or um, am I not? You know, I, I do that and my waking heart rate each morning. And those two things are very accurate in telling me whether yeah. I'm, whether I had a good night's sleep, whether I'm managing stuff or whether I need to check in with myself. And so if it's, if it has dropped um, and it regularly does, then it's like, okay, what are you going to do today to make sure that you're, you're, you know, listening and, and taking care of yourself. Um, so that's been a, yeah, that's been a big benefit for me. Um, and if you are like me, the problem or the, the problem of like having a number means you can make it into a competition. Yes. But the other side of it is that it's a very good thing that if I, rather than trying to like, mm, how do I feel today? Mm, I'm not sure. Whereas I've got a number that goes, well, actually you're like 25% down on what you'd normally be. So that's probably something that you need to, to think about and look at. So yeah, it's just it, using it in the correct way, I guess. It becomes your own way of measuring this out. Cause it's true that when you- yeah, It's my barometer. Yeah, exactly. Cause a lot of the time, well, nowadays people are, you need to check in with yourself. Okay, what does that mean? How do How? I measure yeah, this? Exactly. How? Yeah. Show me sensei the path to, checking in with myself and then I know in the past I, I used to be like that I'm a lot better at it nowadays as well um because same I have my own markers from the moment I open my eyes being like okay I can tell whether or not I slept properly and I can see whether maybe I need to move straight away or if I just need to breathe we all have these markers because it's all mm. It's all well and good to tell someone, well, check in, ask yourself, how do you feel today? But what if I've never asked myself how I felt? And therefore, if I haven't got a logic or an experience that can show me how to access that knowledge, then I'm just going to stay stuck on that question and feel potentially even more guilty that I'm not doing it right because I don't know how to check in. Yeah. I'm thinking of it as like, um, someone asking you to, to measure something and if it was like, what do you want me to make? Like, if you, if you want me to measure the length of something, then I know that I've got a tool of like a ruler that's yeah. going to allow me, but just measure it, <laughs> like measure yourself. But with what, what, with what units, with what, what part of it, like 
yeah totally right and that's uh yeah i think people people just being able being able to hear what works for other people and it's probably quite individual like you say isn't it depending on things that you've gone through um but i would my, my encouragement for people listening would be like just explore and try and find find ways that that work for you that do um because there are plenty of things that you can you know you can measure you can check um you know i mentioned waking heart rate there is a very simple one um people have like devices that measure all sorts of things like on your apple watches and that whatnot i'm i've I'm never been into that sort of stuff but i know that do you know I mean there's plenty of things there that that do exist um heart rate variability is like a great one um but again you need tech for that but yeah no there's there's uh but there'll probably be a lot of people that are um my sister my older sister would be she wouldn't need like she's the type of person she would not need a number or anything so she could just she just knows she just knows herself very well like <laughs> she's re- she just recovered from breast cancer and she went to the doctors because she just knew something wasn't right yeah doctor checked her out sent her home no you're fine and she went back she said no, no there is something there's something not right i just i just know it i just feel i can tell mm-hmm. and then she had some more scans done and then it was like oh you've got um yeah actually there is a tiny um tumor and then it turned out that the tiny tumor it was only looking at it like front on when she had some more tests done it was like seven it was like tiny but it was seven centimeters going deep like behind her nipple like back into her so mm. then it was like oh no like this is it's a big one yeah it's a big one um, and she just knew because she's just very in tune with her with her, with her body. And it's just knowing, like you, just for people, just knowing what you like, like accepting what we're like, and just working with what we're like. Because if you work with what you are just naturally, your personality is like, mm-hmm. then you, you know, then 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 you set up. It's when you it's when either you don't either aware of what are you actually like in terms of your personality, what makes you tick, and what you connect with. If, or, or you fighting against it because you want to be something that you're not. There's a lot of that too, for sure. So you've started training that breath. For the, you've been training and working with your breath for the past 18 months. And you talked a lot about the injury and how you're understanding now that things would have helped you back then. Yeah. Did that entire discovery and learning process of that way of breathing did it make you look at your accident in a different light, maybe with more compassion for what you were going through at the time? Um, it's an interesting question because I, uh, I haven't, yeah, no, I haven't looked back on it. I don't know why I haven't. I haven't looked back on it at, at all and been like, oh, even though I guess I, I sort of even verbalized it on this podcast earlier, saying like, oh, of course, I probably wish I knew some of that back then but i just yeah i don't know just the it 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 was what it was we were just at the time i was only doing and you know this the the doctors and the physios i was working with we were just doing what we what we knew of at the time unfortunately we didn't we didn't know some of this other stuff um and i'm trying to think uh, uh probably like the because the overriding feeling for for me and i haven't really said this very often like I was just scared that would I make a full recovery to sort of be able to just live a normal life like that. I did have that worry, 
but that was sort of like slightly longer. The thing that was pressing me more because it was more immediate was, um, and I sound funny saying it, but I was going to say it anyway, like I was scared. I was just scared. I was scared that I would go back on the pitch knowing that I shouldn't be there because I wasn't strong enough to say, I quit. I'm done. Like my, I just know that I'm not right. A bit like my sister. I mean, like I knew I wasn't right. I actually was, I was listening, but I wasn't like acting out on it. So, you know, that sort of being scared and fear, you know, that's why that turned into relief when the, when the neurosurgeon said, you can't play anymore. It was like, it was like, great. (laughs) You know, there was then other things like, crack, what am I going to do? Um, but it was like, we'll figure that out, we'll figure that out later. The, the pressing issue was that. And so that's probably just where, where I've, where I landed with it. And so I've only probably be, I'm just, I'm just thankful for it because I'm equally, I'm, I'm thankful for my, I learned so much during my rugby career. I met so many amazing people, played with so many amazing people, made so many fantastic friends from it. Like, you know, I, I don't want to sound like classically sort of thing, you know, I wouldn't change anything, but I just, it, I'm I'm very grateful and thankful for that, and then thankful that how that it worked out that it worked itself out in the end. Obviously, I would have preferred to have not had a, a head injury to finish it, but yeah, there was other there was worst case scenarios. One of my bad head injuries where I broke I had a triple fracture of my 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 eye jaw socket on the left um, was in the second half when I'd been knocked out in the first half, but didn't but didn't come off. And you know, I I knew firsthand the effects of like I know full well at half I know I know full well at half time that I well I, I had actually said at the time like I said to the physio like I didn't feel well I was like I think because I didn't it was like you don't because you've been concussed you don't remember it but you're like you've been concussed that many times before but like I know I know that how I'm feeling now is that I've been concussed like I don't remember it I don't know where it happened on the field or anything like that and I know I don't feel right so I guess I flagged it but I didn't then you know I got checked and I went back on I didn't go I'm not going back on Joey. I didn't make that decision myself and then I got absolutely sparkled by someone much bigger than me (laughs) how bigger much (laughs) my face was an absolute mess that was awful I mean, looking in the mirror, like, you know, when you have like a, if you have an ulcer yeah. or something in your mouth, yeah, it feels enormous. And then you open, you look in the mirror and it's tiny. Yeah. Well, I had like quite a decent indentation of like my, my skull around my, just around my eye and around uh, by my ear on the top of my, I guess not my jaw, my skull. It wasn't, it was pretty, it was a pretty decent like indentation that you could see. And it was like, ooh, to, to look at. But then internally for me to feel before, I thought like half my face was missing. That's how it felt. And then I was like, you know, I was also concussed. And the interesting thing was because I had this, I had to have an operation to have it reset. And that was my injury. Got a fract- you got this trouble fracture, did there? Like, we can see that. We're going to deal with it. At no point did I, uh, so I went under general anesthetic to have that reset and all that. Yeah. And at no point did I um, have my head injury um, assessed. And looked at because it was it was the it's the hidden injury it's the one we don't see the one we don't know uh, weeks afterwards after i had my operation tried to come back to training or went back to training and it was like can't do contact but everything else of course you could do because it's just your 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 eye socket and, and jaw and your, your skulls it's been reset you just can't do contact for whatever it was six weeks whatever. 
um, but everything else you can do. And I remember doing a gym session and I was just absolutely like, I just could not keep up. And I remember like just sitting down there and saying to the coach, I was like, and actually to the camera, I was like, then what's wrong with me? I feel awful. Now I know what it was. I was still, I was still recovering from concussions, but um, that's one of the challenges with it because it's hidden. You can't see it. When you say you were not feeling great doing that gym session, was it because hand and move, like movement coordination was a bit out of whack or was it, how did it uh, manifest? No, it was itself? more like, um, like, like fatigue, like oh, energy. Yeah. I just didn't have, just didn't have anything in the tank. But yeah, no, they did, like we have like cognitive assessments and stuff to, to, you know, to, if, you know, from as simple as like, like what day it is. And when, when you haven't got a fucking clue what day it is, then like, it's quite obvious that you've, it starts simple like that and then it do some simple there's like counting back from 100 in sevens and things like that there's some like little cognitive tests that they do uh pitch side to to see um that sort of stuff's being managed a bit more about in, in rugby now better but when you when you don't know whether you're coming or going you're not in a place to make a correct decision about yourself it needs to be taken off you how would you encourage someone how would you encourage them to start a breath work a breath journey like you did i would i'd probably i'd start with just doing a bit of like reading yourself and that like you said you you showed uh richie's book got patrick mckinney's oxygen advances some great books out there that are that are really easy to read uh, they're not they're not difficult to read start to do a little bit of a little bit of research and under, understanding yourself um one of the very simplest ones with with the oxygen advantage that helps with like anxiety and stress is a is a just a very a series of very short breath holds where after an after a normal exhale you're holding your breath for three to five seconds and then you have like a little sort of 10 second rest or two breaths commonly in between another three to five second breath hold so it's just a series for a couple of minutes of a very short very short breath holds after after an exhale and um, it can start literally as, as simple um, as simple as that but if you have had a, a brain injury or a concussive event you know from from my from my understanding from the sort of research that say Dr. Cobb at Z Health I would look him up um, has done there is a high chance that your breathing patterns you know breathing uses muscles it is like any other movement pattern and it can be can be affected and highly likely to be affected for those of us that have sustained um, a head injury. So it's, it's something, and it's something that you can work on very simply because, you know, as I said, everything, everything else, you just can't do. If it's bad, that's where that, Joey, that's where I was at. Is like, what, yeah. you, whereas any other injury, there's like rehab to do because it, and it's good. When you have something to do, it just gives you a little bit of something. Yeah. Which is important. Completely small steps, baby steps. And remembering that breathing is something we've been doing for thousands of years as humans. And it's the most natural thing. So giving yourself five minutes, just five minutes to start, yeah. just to start with, where you just do this and you play around with it. I think that's the best way indeed. Jacko, you're an absolute legend. And where can people find you and your find out more about the human flag philosophy? Um, so, well, School Calisthenics is... Um where all the training and stuff happens. And that's, uh, so schoolcalisthenics.com. Uh, we're on YouTube, Instagram, everything is School of Calisthenics. Uh, my personal Instagram is Jacko Human Flag, because when I started, I thought human flags were cool. They're still cool, but- They're still cool. There's other stuff that's also cool. But yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah, I share a lot of the breathing stuff and, and random 
potatoes and things like that. Um, come and join Bandana Gang, all the, all the good stuff. Potato stories are a highlight, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of uh, the Artful Athlete podcast. I nearly said School of Calisthenics for a second. <laughs> not, not the same thing. Um, and we'll be back on with our guests episodes very soon and meanwhile catch you every thursday for a brand new short episode bye